You know, it's kind of like you know, the baseball players have their walk-up music. They get to listen to something that pumps them up before they get up there. You know, as you're, as you're about to preach, you think, uh, Lord, make me bold. Uh, may I rightly handle your word? And you're kind of getting your head right. And uh, to have our choir to always sing songs to get us in the right place and to have you guys today, what a, what a great uh, thing to have. Um, so I want to invite all of you who are here this morning to gather around the Word of God. That's what we do. It's the center part of our worship service is to gather around God's Word. And we've been working our way uh, through Matthew since uh, Advent, really 20, December 2020. And uh, we're working so fast, we're already to the 13th chapter. And um, it, it, it's really been um, one of the great pleasures of my life to, to teach through Matthew. And, uh, you know, we've been in a lot of... Um, the epistles, and I love the epistles, I love God's Word, but I found myself with this great hunger for Jesus, and um, we've really been following the story of Jesus one step at a time through Matthew's Gospel, and today we, 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 we come to a transition point, it, and, and the transition occurs in the 13th chapter of Matthew. And let me, let me try to explain the transition. You see, in Matthew chapter 12, you're really dealing with a Sabbath day. You're dealing with a day of conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. And, uh, uh, and Jesus is performing all these miraculous signs, and he's healing really just droves of people on the Sabbath. And, and the Pharisees are there. They don't deny these miraculous healings. Never once do they say, like, Jesus, you're not doing the impossible. Instead, what they're left to, to say is, Jesus, what you're doing, the power that you're doing these things by, it comes from the devil. And a lot of chapter 12 then becomes devoted to Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees uh, for, for saying this and, and for really their denial of, of what's clearly happening. And it all happens in one day. It all happens on the Sabbath. And after they leave the synagogue, they're there, and, and Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, and, and they leave the synagogue, and a big crowd follows him, and he heals everyone in the crowd, and they end up in someone's home. Remember this? And while they're in this house, Jesus is presenting the gospel to the people there. And the next thing you know, Jesus' mother and his brothers show up and, and, and they're worried about him because he's, he's getting in this deep conflict with the Pharisees. And, and they, they want him to come outside, but he doesn't. Instead, he, he continues to present the gospel to those inside, inside and he, he tells the crowd in the house that those who do the will of my father that's who my true mother and brothers are. And that's really where chapter 12 ends. And, and here's what you need to know going forward into chapter 13. That kind of sets our context. Chapter 13, first off, it, it happened, it's still the Sabbath. It's still the very same day that all of chapter 12 happened. And, and you're going to see Jesus is going to transition in the way that he teaches. He's going to start using parables. Up to this point, Jesus hasn't used any parables at all uh, in Matthew's gospel. We've seen Jesus use a lot of illustrations, right? We've seen him talk about salt and light, and uh, he talks about a tree and its fruit. He talks about new wine and old wine skins, but up, up to this point, no, no parables. Um, but that's going to change in chapter 13. So let me, let me set the stage by asking a few questions and have you think through these questions with me. Uh, what do you know about parables? And what does that word even mean, the word parable? Well, it's an interesting word. It, it, it's a Greek word, it's, and it's a compound word, and, and it, it's made up of, of kind of two parts. One, para, uh, which is kind of a Greek prefix that means alongside. Uh, so think about a, a parallel line, right? They, it runs alongside. Think of, a, a, think of a paralegal, and a paralegal would work alongside an attorney. And think about a, 
you know, they have these things called parachurch ministries. They're not the church, but they work alongside the church. That, that, that prefix para means like to, to be alongside. And then, and then the, the second part of the word parable is that word uh, that means to throw. Isn't that interesting? So, so, so basically a parable, if you want to have it be very literal, is this idea of throwing something alongside, Right? Um, Jesus is going to be communicating very spiritual things, and he's going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven. That's really the heart of, of what he's, he's teaching. And as a way of teaching, Jesus is going to throw something alongside his spiritual truth. And, and it's generally something that, that's common. It's something from the world that they know. Okay, so let's try and do two things this morning. Um, let's read our text and see if we can discover why Jesus teaches in parables. And then we're going to explore the first parable of chapter 13, because what we're going to find in chapter 13 is, is Jesus is going to give a lot of parables. So we're going to talk about just the nature of parables, why he teaches in parables, and then we're going to explore the first one, which is probably one you're all familiar with, um, the parable of the sower. And so we're going to read Matthew 13, 1 through 23. Um, out of reverence for God's word, can I invite you to stand now? And uh, before we read the Word of God, let's, let's bow our heads and um, pray to our Lord. Um, Father, we come before you as your church. We're gathered together today. We're gathered around your Word. Would you uh, send your Spirit as we read that our hearts might be quickened, and that your Word might bring its conviction and understanding and do its work within us. Jesus, you are worshipped in your church today, and all the church said, amen. Let's read together, beginning uh, in 13.1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered at him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the, the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, 
you will indeed see, but never perceive. But this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another thirty. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's see if we can work through that pretty long reading of Scripture together. We'll start with verses 1 through 3. The same day, the same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. As, as we read, all of this happened on the same day as, like I said, as Matthew 12. Jesus uh, had been in the house teaching. It was, it was still the Sabbath. And he, he didn't leave when his family came for him. But apparently now Jesus has said what he needed to say, and he goes out to the shore. And as he goes out to the shore, this crowd follows him. And the wording there leads one to believe that the crowd actually grows. And, and the crowd is so large that, that Jesus decides to get in a boat and push off into the water just a bit. And, and I love the commentary that Charles Spurgeon has on this section of Scripture. He, he notes this, very interesting. He says, Jesus sits in the boat, and the, the boat becomes his pulpit. And, and, and while Jesus sits down to preach, the crowd stands to hear the Word. And this is what Spurgeon says. This, I love this. He says, uh, we should have less sleeping in congregations if this arrangement still prevailed, right? Uh, and it does, my heart, it does my heart and my ego really good to hear that, that people also slept through Spurgeon's sermons, right? Like that does so good for me, right? Uh, as, for, as for the disciples in this story, I find this interesting. Scripture does not say if they got in the boat with Jesus but I just wonder, the way that Jesus keeps having these side conversations with the disciples, 
I wonder if the disciples were, were on the boat with Jesus so that he could turn down and say things to them and then look back out and say things to the crowd. At least they're close up on the shore so that Jesus can kind of address them on the side and then he can raise his voice and address the crowd. And, and here is what scripture says. It says that, that Jesus spoke to the people many things in, in parables. Um, so here's my question. It's the one I introduced earlier. Why does Jesus speak in parables? And uh, it's a good question. It's the, it's the question that the disciples want to know as well. So look with me at, at verses 10 through 11. It says this, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So um, pay attention. When they ask Jesus why he speaks in parables, you might expect for him to say, when I use parables, the purpose is that it makes it easier for people to understand what I'm talking about. You know, like, you know what I mean? You might expect that to be the reason, like, like the way that a, that a preacher might use an illustration. You know, like, like when I use parables, it makes it easier for people to understand. That's why, that's why preachers use illustrations so that they can make complex points and make them simple, and you know, but that's not really what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says the purpose of a parable is different. What, what Jesus says to his disciples is this, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. The idea is that when, when Jesus speaks in parables, there are some people who will understand, and there are some people who will not understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so that, that phrase, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? Like um, the Bible in several places talk about the secrets of, of heaven or, of, of, or they, it, also, it also talks about God's great mysteries. The saints in the Old Testament did not know the name of Jesus they, they hoped in God and they, and they trusted that God would save them through a Messiah yet to come, but they didn't know all the details. All the details of salvation were a secret to God, a mystery of God. I remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he's like, guys, you get to find out this stuff that the prophets have longed to know. And, and Paul, he repeatedly talks about this mystery in his writings. Colossians 2, 2 through 3 is, is a great example of that. He says this, um, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and here it is, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so why does Jesus speak in parables? He does so to reveal some of the mystery of God, while at the same time, and here's what's important, concealing that same mystery from others. What is the secret mystery? That mystery is that Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan to save his people. And, and so I want you to fully understand the implications of this. Jesus is, now get this, he is intentionally concealing the mysteries of the kingdom from some people. 
Parables ring true in the hearts of people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the parables ring true, while those who have hardened hearts are never going to understand the parables. Look at, look at verses 12 through 13. It says this, For the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You understand this? They, they can't understand. Jesus says they can't understand because why? Because it has not been given. To the, to the disciples, understanding was given, right? It was a, it was a gift. And, and, and to many others, understanding was, was not given. And this always brings us to this question that, uh, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians like to talk about, this idea of election. Do you choose first to believe in Jesus and the result of your choice, the result of your faith is that then in turn God fills you with the Holy Spirit and I think a lot of people believe that, that you choose first and then you get the Holy Spirit. I, I just don't think that's what we see over and over and over again in Scripture. Instead, what I'm suggesting to you is that God acts first by choosing to fill his people with the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, when God does this, he gives them ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus is very clear. To some people, God is given to know. And to others, God is given to not know. And, and, and the difference is if, if they have been filled by the Spirit. And, and what Jesus then kind of points out is he says that these people on the shore are in, in some way a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Did you, you remember that part? He says they're, they're, prophecy, they're a fulfillment of the prophecy of, of Isaiah. And what is quoted here, what Jesus is going to quote here, is it's all part of that great story of the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah that, that happens in Isaiah 6. And I, I know many of you remember that story of Isaiah coming to the throne room of God and, and seeing the seraphim, and, and they've got, you know, the six wings, and with two they're flying, with two they cover their eyes, with two they cover their feet, and they're, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And there's Isaiah before the, the mighty uh, holiness of God. And what does he say? He says, woe am I. He's aware of his sin. He says, whoa, am I for I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips among a, a people of unclean lips. And, and you remember what happens next is one of those seraphim that's flying, he flies over and he takes a piece of hot coal. And he flies over to Isaiah. And as Isaiah stands there, he takes the coal and he presses the hot coal upon Isaiah's lips. And I just imagine the singeing of Isaiah's lips. And, and what is happening in this moment in this story is Isaiah is being called and he's being commissioned to be a prophet. And God says, who shall I send? And who will go for us? And remember what Isaiah says? He says, here I am, send me. And then God commissions Isaiah to go and to speak to the people. Now, you might assume that God's commissioning Isaiah to, to go and to preach the gospel for the purpose of changing hearts, right? That, that, that that's going to be Isaiah's mission, that, that God wants everyone to hear uh, his word and, and to repent. That's what God's desire is. That's what you might assume. Unfortunately, that's not at all what God commissions Isaiah to go 
and do. Look at what God assigns the prophet Isaiah to go and do. Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And God said to Isaiah, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Can you imagine being given this as your mission? Go and tell the people to hear but not understand, to see and not perceive. Listen, friends, you just got to understand this. Isaiah was not sent on a mission of salvation as much as Isaiah was sent on a mission of judgment. And so the disciples asked Jesus, they're there on the, by the boat, and they say, why do you speak in parables? And the basic answer is, is to them, or it's to you, it's been given to know. To them, it's not been given. And, and in, the case, in, in their case, he, he, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled. And, and he quotes that, that section we just read. And, and some of you have to be asking yourself, you mean Jesus wasn't trying to save everyone? You, you tell me, because I'm not making this up. I'm just reading to you from the Bible. This is the purpose of the parables. To reveal to some, to conceal from others, to some it was given to know, to others it was given to not know. Let's talk about the first parable then, the parable of the sower. The sower in this parable, or farmer, I think you could probably say, represents Jesus, okay? The seed in this parable represents the gospel of the kingdom. So the idea is that Jesus has been going all through the countryside, and as he does, he's, he's preaching the gospel. He is scattering the seed. He's telling people to repent for the kingdom is at hand. However, as, as Jesus sows the seeds of the gospel, what you're going to see here is that not all the seed bears fruit. And this is really interesting because Jesus has to be um, the greatest preacher in the history of the world. This really has to be. And he's got with him um, the Holy Spirit who was doing these, these amazing miracles all the way through this, right? And, and the vast majority of people he preached to rejected his teaching. Do you know why? Well, Dr. R.C. Sproul says it like this. He says this. It's very interesting, and, and it's very good for my soul. It says this. The power of preaching is not in the preacher or the hearer, right? Not in the preacher or the hearer. He says this, the power of preaching resides in the spirit of Almighty God alone. This parable tells of four different kinds of people who are going to hear uh, the, 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 about the kingdom of heaven. These four different types of people are described as different kinds of soils. So Jesus says some people who hear the gospel are going to be like, Hard-packed roads. Some people who hear the gospel are going to be like 
stony path. Some people who hear the gospel are going to be like seeds that fell among thorns, and yet some are going to be good soil, right? And so I want to examine these four kinds of responses to the gospel one at a time, and we'll start with uh, what Jesus does, the the hard-packed soil. So verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. So you got to imagine there's not concrete, but there's foot traffic that has compacted and, and hardened the path so that the seed does not penetrate, right? It just, the, the gospel does not penetrate. The, the news of the kingdom stays on top. It sits there. Look how Jesus explains this in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. It's very simple to understand, really. When the gospel is shared with, with people with this kind of heart, uh, or, 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 when the gospel is shared with, with the people of this illustration of a hard ground, it, it's describing people who have a, a heart that has been hardened such that nothing can penetrate their hearts. And listen, I, I want to tell you guys that this is really the natural state of a man without the work of God, that their heart is hardened. This is what your heart is like unless God gives you a new heart. This is what the Lord is talking about in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. This is what he says. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, uh, and, and, and a new spirit I'll put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So, so unless God has done his work in you first, you're going to have a heart of stone and you won't care a thing about the gospel. The second kind of person described in Jesus' parable um, is this, this idea of rocky soil. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. It says this, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And I'll remind us all that this is a a different reaction to the gospel. The image is of kind of a rocky area of of ground, but but there's a little topsoil over the rocks, right? And, And when the seed gets in that little thin layer of topsoil, it starts to sprout upward fast because it doesn't have much soil to push through. And it starts to put down strong roots. But the rocks below prevent the roots from establishing. And so without roots, when the sun comes up, the plant is exposed to the heat and the stress, and it withers away. And here's how Jesus explains this parable, verses 20 and 21. He says this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Um, you know, when I, when I read this, I get this image of someone who's listening to a, a really compelling sermon, you know, they're a great preacher or a great presentation of the gospel, and in a, 
and in an emotional moment, like really, they, they make a profession of faith. And so I kind of imagine in my head, like Billy Graham's crusades, right? Where you have uh, the gospel masterfully presented, and you have like the most compelling music playing in the background, and, uh, and someone saying, come on down, there's three more in your seats. The Spirit of God wants to do something in you today. And so you just have these hundreds of people who are, are flowing to the front, and, and some people, out of human emotion, are going to want to be part of that experience, right? Some people out of human emotion are going to want to be part of this experience. Maybe you've done this before, and, and you know this. Here's this. Human emotion will never lead you to the kingdom. Human emotion will never lead you to repent and believe in the gospel. But with the right music and the right setting, human emotion will lead you to follow the crowd and to even say the words in a sinner's prayer or, or respond to some altar call because people crave something inside of them that they don't have. But here's what I'm going to suggest to you, that, that without the work of the Spirit inside of you, it's not a reality. These people never really wanted the Word. They never really wanted Jesus. They just wanted some experience. And so the, the whole Jesus thing for them is just a fad. Of course it is. They, they never had ears to really hear in the first place. And so when the sun comes out and when uh, the pressures of following the Lord come, they, they fall away. The third type of, of soil in our parable is a soil that is full of thorns. Right, let's read verse 7. It says this. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and, and it choked them. And so there are other things growing in this soil already. Things that are competing for, for resources. And once again, this soil is somebody's heart. And this is describing a response to the gospel. And, and the seed is the gospel. So the idea is that other things are, are planted in someone's heart before the gospel is. Look at how Jesus explains how a person like this might respond. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, so what we learn here is that it is possible that the love of this world and the love of money are already planted in someone's heart. Like a vine that, that, that has a head start. And, and those other things will choke out any attempts for the seed of the gospel to take root. So, so the three different bad soils are used in this illustration. Hard hearts, shallow hearts, hearts with other allegiances, it's, it's almost rare, it's almost a miracle it seems when the seed of the gospel finds good soil. A heart that by the Spirit of God has been made prepared and fertile. But here's what Jesus says. He's going to talk to us about that last uh, kind of soil, a good soil in verse 8. It says this, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty. Some 30. Some of us, some of you, have been fortunate enough to have ears that hear. Some of you have heard the gospel and the Spirit has allowed you to understand it. In fact, Jesus says this in verse 23, he says this, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and 
understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, so step one of being good soil is that you understand the word that was spoken. You understand that Jesus is the mystery of the kingdom. You understand that those who do the will of his Father will be called sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And step two of, of being good soil is that you bear good fruit. That's the whole point of planting the seeds, that you take root in the gospel and that you begin to bear fruit. And, and I don't know who needed to hear this parable today, but Jesus knows that, uh, that when the gospel is preached, not everyone will understand. Like Spurgeon said, remember Spurgeon? He said, some people will sleep through the gospel presentation. Some people have hard hearts. Some people might love the emotion of everything, but they don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. They might even say a sinner's prayer or something, but it's just words. And some people, the gospel will never take root because they already are growing thorns. They love money, they love the world, and those things will choke out the gospel. But when the gospel is preached, some of the seeds of that preaching will find good soil. The only good soil is the heart prepared by the Holy Spirit. And when the seed of the gospel is planted in, the heart of a, in a heart that's been prepared by the Holy Spirit, that person will understand and that person will bear fruit. My question for you this morning is, uh, why does Jesus speak in parables? Because some people are supposed to understand and some people are not. And so I say to you, sitting in the pew this morning, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus came to lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice for your sin. And your only hope in this world and the one to come is that you repent of your sins, you humble your arrogant heart, and you submit to the rule of Jesus that the seed of his word might take root and producing you great fruit. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, what graciousness you handle us with, those of us whose hearts have been plowed by the work of the Spirit, those of us who have been um, recipients of the great seed of the gospel message of the King of kings, of his kingdom here, Christ, you were gracious to us. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, amen. amen.